0: I don't know if any of you are caught up in the lottery fever. Go home and read again Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the lesson that was read a little earlier. Go home and read that. And um, the last thing we wanted to be doing is being all caught up in in, uh, the things of the world. So take a look at that if you're a little given to lottery fever. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for this time together to be with brothers and sisters. Come be with us, lead us, direct us, build us up in you. Uh, Give us a good sense of attention. Uh, Give us a good desire to want to know your word, to live your word, uh, to be filled up with your peace and to be sent out into the world. So come be with us, we pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. I hope on your uh, list of things that you value or treasure in life, I hope that on that list would be this, being part of this Christian congregation. When you look at all of the good things that God has given to you, that you'd say, one of the good things that God has given to me is to be part of of this Christian congregation. Not in any kind of a braggy or boastful way. I mean, we've got all of the same problems and issues and foibles that that every other congregation might have. But, But for you to acknowledge that, Yeah, this is a good thing. This is what God wants for me to be part of a Christian congregation. And I'm glad to be part of it. Over the next few weeks, we want to especially see that not only is it a good thing for us to be part of a Christian congregation, but that it's an important thing that God calls Christians together into a congregation for a very important work of His in the world. You know, the world has all kinds of problems. We've been thinking about uh, world problems over the last uh, few weeks. We, we thought about uh, how God sent Jesus into the world. There's uh, problems with uh, 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 hunger and problems with violence and problems with families. There are all these problems out in the world. And uh, we try to find all sorts of solutions. There's even an encyclopedia of world problems and human potential. How can we solve that? Uh, We look at the world problems. Sometimes like that uh, children's message on the mouth, uh, about the mouth, we might think, shouldn't it be easy to solve a lot of the problems in the world? What if we just would talk to people instead of about people. World problems and trying to find solutions to them. Uh, this, this last fall, or this, this fall, we talked about how Jesus is God's global initiative. When God looks down at the problems of the world, there's sin and death and suffering and violence and hatred and all kinds of disarray. God looks down on the problems of the world and He sent Jesus Christ into the world as His solution. Here's the hope. Here's the help. What we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks as we study 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is if Jesus is God's global initiative to the world, what's the point of churches? Where do congregations fit into God's plan for the world in relationship to Jesus? Especially when Paul says, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Here's what we're going to look at. Jesus is God's global initiative. God sent Jesus into the world to be the Savior, to rescue. And then Paul says, now you, and he was talking to a Christian congregation in Corinth. he says, now you are Jesus. You are the body of Christ and individually members one of another. We're going to make sense of that over the next few weeks. And we're going to do that in the midst of a couple of dynamics. We should acknowledge these on the front end. There are two dynamics. Uh, the first is that a growing number of people define themselves as spiritual and not religious. You've heard that. Uh, maybe you've said that. I was with some friends the other night, and we were talking about how that's really a case in a lot of people's lives. that We know they'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm very spiritual, but... But not particularly religious. Uh, the statistics are going up uh, uh, higher and higher on that. Uh, I'm spiritual, but not particularly religious. I don't like organized religion, as if religion is ever organized. <laughs> There's another dynamic that's at work, and that's that a growing number of confessing Christians and congregations is chew membership. Isn't that a good word? It chew. <laughs> Bless you. (laughs) It means uh, to turn away from, to deny, to have nothing to do with. And you hear that. Uh, You'll hear people who say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to be part of a congregation. I was talking to a friend of mine. He goes to a local church in the community. I'm not criticizing the church as such, but he said in the church that he goes to, they're against church membership. They don't talk about church membership. They don't want people to be members. They say, just come and hang out. Uh, what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that's an absolutely unbiblical idea. When God calls Christians to Christ, he calls them into relationship one to another. Uh, we'll think that through as we, as we though live in a time that a lot of people are against church membership. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, we'll study. Maybe you'd read this through a few times over the next few weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to think about churches and their members. Uh, The word church gets used a number of different ways. Uh, One of the ways that we use the word church is to mean all true believers on earth Like in the creed, we talk about, I believe, in the one holy Christian and apostolic church. It's all true believers. Another way that we use the word church is to talk about a denomination. We'd say we're part of the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. Uh, You can use the word church to talk about a building. Uh, Where'd you come today? Well, I I went up to the church. I went up to the building. Uh, In the New Testament, when the word church is used, ecclesia, Almost always the word church in the New Testament refers to this. To a congregation of confessing believers in a location. And that's what what this letter is written to. It's written to the church, these believers in the city of Corinth, as Paul is instructing them. And so as we look at this, we're going to see that churches and their members center on the lordship of Jesus. That's the message for today. Uh, Second, they exclude pride. Paul speaks against pride, not getting all puffed puffed up, haughty about yourself. Uh, Christian churches and their members include membership, I hope to rehabilitate this idea in your mind, uh, church membership. It's not like being a member of the Kiwanis or a member of a country club or the member of Costco. Uh, it, it's, it's a very biblical idea for us to be members of a local Christian congregation. Also, we're going to think that, uh, see how churches and their members include religion. Again, I hope to rehabilitate that word and, and that idea. Religion being tied together is a good thing. And of course, above all things, uh, churches and their members must focus on love. That's where Paul drives this conversation. After 1 Corinthians 12 comes 1 Corinthians 13, of course. And at the end of 12, Paul says, And now let me show you the most excellent of ways. And he's going to talk to us about love. Uh, As we work through this chapter uh, over the next few weeks, uh, above all things, I want you to see that whatever the church is, it isn't a dinosaur. You know, it's not something that's on its way out, about to be extinct. A lot of people wring their hands about what's going on in the church today, and you hear about churches closing. I I heard about uh, a church just this last week being turned into a condominium project. I've heard of a lot of buildings being turned, church buildings being turned into brew pubs and so on. And, and for whatever troubles the church might have, local congregations have, we're not a dinosaur. This is part of God's will, part of God's plan. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So this morning what we're looking at is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first few verses. Uh, let's read these together. Let's read these, these verses together. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So these words are addressed to the church in Corinth, the congregation in Corinth. Corinth was a was a uh, A very immoral sort of city. It was kind of famous even in the ancient world for its level of immorality. We look around and think about what's going on in our nation or our community and we might think about all of the immorality and wonder how can the church grow. Well Corinth was a lot worse than even what we might experience. And indeed in that city there was this thriving congregation. It had its problems. It was given over to a party spirit which doesn't mean they like to have a lot of parties, but it meant that there were different parties. There was Paul's party, and, and Apollos' party, and Cephas' party, that Peter, and so there was division. Paul was talking about, especially in this chapter, about unity in the body, we need to come together. Another problem that was going on in the, in the church in Corinth was a, a, a haughty pride. People were exalting themselves over and against others. I speak in tongues. Uh, I can do miracles and signs and wonders. And and there was this uh, exalting one another over the other. And Paul speaks about that as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, uh, this was a question uh, that Paul had been asked by the church in Corinth. Uh, They had raised a question. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's it's a turning point in the letter. uh, Paul says there, he says, Now concerning the things that you wrote me about in your letter. They had asked Paul a number of questions. They had asked him some questions about marriage. They had asked him some questions about food, sacrifice to idols. And they had also also asked him some questions about spiritual gifts. And so he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts. What they were really asking is, What about being spiritual? What does it mean to be spiritual? Spiritual. Uh, the word that gets used here for spiritual gifts is different than the word that gets used for spiritual gifts later on in, in the letter. And the word that's used uh, right here is especially accenting the spiritual part, not the gift part. And, and so their real question is, is, what does it mean to be spiritual? How do you know if you're spiritual? Uh, what does it mean to be rightly spiritual? Do you have to speak in tongues? Do you have to be able to cast out demons? Do you have to, do you have to wear a robe and a stole? You know? Do you have to have a certain kind of a job? What does it mean to be spiritual? Paul accents that not all spirituality is equal. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. As we think about true spirituality, we must understand, we should understand that not all spirituality is equal. You may have a friend or a family member and they say, well, you know, I'm spiritual. Well, if it's not focused on Jesus, uh, Paul is saying it's like following a dumb or a mute idol. I like this. This is from Isaiah chapter 44. It says, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Isaiah prophesying, God prophesying through Isaiah, was living during a spiritual time. But here was their spirituality. They would take a tree and they'd cut it down. Half of it they'd make an idol, bow down and and worship it. The other half they'd chop up into wood and bake their bread. And Isaiah was saying, that's foolish, that's nonsense. As we think about spirituality generally, that which isn't found in Christ is foolish, mute, and dumb. Paul calls us to have faith in Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit has a specific work. Uh, He says no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, uh, nor can you confess Jesus is Lord. It says, except by the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the Creator. Jesus is the Son, the God who died for us. But the Spirit is at work to bring us and keep us in faith. What does it mean to be spiritual? How do we know if we are spiritual people? Has the Spirit done His specific work on us? And what is the specific work of the Spirit? This is it, to say Jesus is Lord. What does it mean for you to be spiritual? You don't have to have a certain job. You don't have to wear certain clothes. You don't have to be able to do specific things. At the heart of being truly, rightly, biblically spiritual, it is to confess Jesus is Lord. And that's where we start as as we work through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Uh, I want us to think for just a few minutes about the spirituality of confessing Jesus as Lord. What does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord? It means to confess that Jesus is the one who died for our sins. That's how Paul starts out his letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, When he's talking about Jesus, this is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He says, For Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. They have their spirituality working. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. He said, And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To confess Jesus as Lord begins with understanding and confessing that he was crucified for you. That you come before God and you admit your sin, you confess your sin, your brokenness, your inherent rebellion against God, and that you need help that's outside of yourself, and that you look to Jesus to be crucified for you. That he would pour out his blood to take away your sin and guilt. We've been using the word propitiation. That he, he made the payment He took the penalty. True spirituality begins with that acknowledgement, that Christ Jesus died for my sins, but that also He's the one who rose to life. Uh, uh, If Christ hasn't been raised, it's all for naught. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a great chapter about the resurrection and Paul talked about how over 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead. And we've got that verse, we always read this on Easter. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord? It means not only that you trust Jesus to take away your sin, but that you trust Jesus to give victory in life, that he rose from the dead, and that he is now the one who saves us, uh, that our hope is in him. Uh, That 1 Corinthians 15 ends with a soaring language about death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. It says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus as Lord? That's true spirituality, that He died, that He rose, that you are saved through Him, and that in Him is the very power of God. Uh, We aren't following and trusting in someone who isn't able, but even as God, the Father, had power to create the heavens and the earth, He said, let there be, and there it was. That's the same power that's at work in Jesus and in His church. Uh, Jesus is the very power of God. Because in our confession, He is God Himself. When we confess Jesus is Lord, it's a very loaded kind of a a statement. In the Old Testament, you probably know this, uh, uh, the proper name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. It comes into our versions of the Bible as Lord with all capital letters. Wherever you see that, though, you know it means Yahweh. So like the second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, what it really is saying is you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. So in the New Testament, wherever we see Jesus called Lord, we should always think of him as Yahweh. doesn't always mean that, but there are times that it's very clear that to confess Jesus as Lord means, above all things, that Jesus is Yahweh. That God came in the flesh. Like it says in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God Himself come into the world. And that in this Jesus, we have our Master. That's the other use of the word Lord. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? That He would be your Master. Your leader. That you would follow Him. We heard that in the Gospel lesson. Uh, that you would follow Him and, and trust in Him. This is from Isaiah 26. O Lord, O Yahweh, our God, other lords besides You have ruled over us, but we acknowledge Your name alone, that we look to Jesus, our Yahweh in the flesh, to now lead us. That wherever He goes, we would follow. Whatever He would call upon, we would believe. Wherever He would send us, we would go. Here's where we're starting. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, I hope you read it uh, a few times over the next few weeks. Here's where we start. We find true spirituality in the lordship of Jesus. What does it mean to be truly spiritual? It is above all things to have faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And what we're going to see is that this lordship in the church and her members is what changes the world as we are connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ, now we are the body of Christ that he sends out into the world. Amen. Having heard God's word, I want to invite you to rise and let's proclaim our faith in God as we speak together the words of the Nicene Creed.